Section two of Kazan by James Oliver Curwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter two Into the North. Wonderful days followed for Kazan. He missed the forests and deep snows. He missed the daily strife of keeping his teammates in trace, the yapping at his heels the straight long pull over the open spaces and the barrens. He missed the kush kush ya of the driver, the spiteful snap of his twenty-foot caribou-gut whip, and that yelping and straining behind him that told him he had his followers in line. But something had come to take the place of that which he missed. It was in the room, in the air all about him, even when the girl or his master was not near. Wherever she had been, he found the presence of that strange thing that took away his loneliness. It was the woman scent, and sometimes it made him whine softly when the girl herself was actually with him. He was not lonely nights when he should have been out howling at the stars. He was not lonely because one night he prowled about until he found a certain door, and when the girl opened that door in the morning, she found him curled up tight against it. She had reached down and hugged him, the thick smother of her long hair falling all over him in a delightful perfume. Thereafter she placed a rug before the door for him to sleep on. All through the long nights he knew that she was just beyond the door, and he was content. Each day he thought less and less of the wild places, and more of her. Then there came the beginning of the change. There was a strange hurry and excitement around him, and the girl paid less attention to him. He grew uneasy. He sniffed the change in the air, and he began to study his master's face. Then there came the morning very early, when the babiche collar and the iron chain were fastened to him again. Not until he had followed his master out through the door and into the street did he begin to understand. They were sending him away. He sat suddenly back on his haunches and refused to budge. "'Come, Kazan,' coaxed the man. "'Come on, boy.' He hung back and showed his white fangs. He expected the lash of a whip or the blow of a club, but neither came. His master laughed and took him back to the house. When they left it again, the girl was with them and walked with her hand touching his head. It was she who persuaded him to leap up through a big dark hole into the still darker interior of a car, and it was she who lured him to the darkest corner of all, where his master fastened his chain. Then they went out, laughing like two children. For hours after that Kazan lay still and tense, listening to the queer rumble of wheels under him. Several times those wheels stopped and he heard voices outside. At last he was sure that he heard a familiar voice, and he strained at his chain and whined. The closed door slid back. A man with a lantern climbed in, followed by his master. He paid no attention to them, but glared out through the opening into the gloom of night. He almost broke loose when he leaped down upon the white snow. But when he saw no one there, he stood rigid, sniffing the air. Over him were the stars he had howled at all his life, and about him were the forests, 
black and silent, shutting them in like a wall. Vainly he sought for that one scent that was missing, and Thorpe heard the low note of grief in his shaggy throat. He took the lantern and held it above his head, at the same time loosening his hold on the leash. At that signal there came a voice from out of the night. It came from behind them, and Kazan whirled so suddenly that the loosely held chain slipped from the man's hand. He saw the glow of other lanterns, and then once more the voice. Kazan! He was off like a bolt. Thorpe laughed to himself as he followed. The old pirate, he chuckled. When he came to the lantern-lighted space back of the caboose, Thorpe found Kazan crouching down at a woman's feet. It was Thorpe's wife. She smiled triumphantly at him as he came up out of the gloom. "'You've won,' he laughed, not unhappily. "'I'd have wagered my last dollar he wouldn't do that for any voice on earth. "'You've won. Kazan, you brute, I've lost you.' His face suddenly sobered as Isabel stooped to pick up the end of the chain. "'He's yours, Issy,' he added quickly. "'But you must let me care for him until we know.' "'Give me the chain. I won't trust him even now. He's a wolf. I've seen him take an Indian's hand off at a single snap. I've seen him tear out another dog's jugular in one leap. He's an outlaw, a bad dog, in spite of the fact that he hung to me like a hero and brought me out alive. I can't trust him. Give me the chain.' He did not finish. With the snarl of a wild beast, Kazan had leaped to his feet. His lips drew up and bared his long fangs, his spine stiffened, and with a sudden cry of warning, Thorpe dropped a hand to the revolver at his belt. Kazan paid no attention to him. Another form had approached out of the night, and stood now in the circle of illumination made by the lanterns. It was McReady, who was to accompany Thorpe and his young wife back to the Red River camp where Thorpe was in charge of the building of the new Transcontinental. The man was straight, powerfully built, and clean-shaven. His jaw was so square that it was brutal, and there was a glow in his eyes that was almost like the passion in Kazan's, as he looked at Isabel. Her red and white stocking cap had slipped free of her head and was hanging over her shoulder. The dull blaze of the lanterns shone in the warm glow of her hair. Her cheeks were flushed, and her eyes, suddenly turned to him, were as blue as the bluest bakneesh flower, and glowed like diamonds. McCready shifted his gaze, and instantly her hand fell on Kazan's head. For the first time the dog did not seem to feel her touch. He still snarled at McCready the rumbling menace in his throat growing deeper. Thorpe's wife tugged at the chain. "'Down, Kazan! Down!' she commanded. At the sound of her voice he relaxed. "'Down!' she repeated, and her free hand fell on his head again. He slunk to her feet, but his lips were still drawn back. Thorpe was watching him. He wondered at the deadly venom that shot from the wolfish eyes and looked at Buckready. The big guide had uncoiled his long dog-whip. A strange look had come into his face. He was staring hard at Kazan. Suddenly he leaned forward, with both hands on his knees, and for a tense moment or two 
he seemed to forget that Isabel Thorpe's wonderful blue eyes were looking at him. Who, Koosh, Pedro, charge! That one word, charge, was taught only to the dogs in the service of the Northwest Mounted Police. Kazan did not move. McCready straightened, and quick as a shot, sent the long lash of his whip, curling out into the night, with a crack like a pistol report. Charge, Pedro! Charge! The rumble in Kazan's throat deepened to a snarling growl, but not a muscle of his body moved. McCready turned to Thorpe. I could have sworn that I knew that dog, he said. If it's Pedro, he's bad. Thorpe was taking the chain. Only the girl saw the look that came for an instant into McCready's face. It made her shiver. A few minutes before, when the train had first stopped at Les Pas, she had offered her hand to this man, and she had seen the same thing then. But even as she shuddered, she recalled the many things her husband had told her of the forest people. She had grown to love them, to admire their big, rough manhood and loyal hearts, before he had brought her among them. And suddenly she smiled at McCready, struggling to overcome that thrill of fear and dislike. "'He doesn't like you,' she laughed at him softly. "'Won't you make friends with him?' She drew Kazan toward him, with Thorpe holding the end of the chain. McCready came to her side as she bent over the dog. His back was to Thorpe as he hunched down. Isabel's bowed head was within a foot of his face. He could see the glow in her cheek and the pouting curve of her mouth as she quieted the low rumbling in Kazan's throat. Thorpe stood ready to pull back on the chain, but for a moment McCready was between him and his wife, and he could not see McCready's face. The man's eyes were not on Kazan. He was staring at the girl. "'You're brave,' he said. "'I don't dare do that. He would take off my hand.' He took the lantern from Thorpe and led the way to a narrow snowpath branching off from the track. Hidden back in the thick spruce was the camp that Thorpe had left a fortnight before. There were two tents there now in place of the one that he and his guide had used. A big fire was burning in front of them. Close to the fire was a long sledge, and, fastened to trees just within the outer circle of firelight, Kazan saw the shadowy forms and gleaming eyes of his teammates. He stood stiff and motionless while Thorpe fastened him to a sledge. Once more he was back in his forests, and in command. His mistress was laughing and clapping her hands delightedly in the excitement of the strange and wonderful life of which she had now become a part. Thorpe had thrown back the flap of their tent, and she was entering ahead of him. She did not look back. She spoke no word to him. He whined and turned his red eyes on McCready. In the tent Thorpe was saying, I'm sorry old Jack Pine wouldn't go back with us, is he? He drove me down, but for love or money I couldn't get him to return. He's a mission Indian, and I'd give a month's salary to have you see him handle the dogs. I'm not sure about this man McCready. He's a queer chap, the company's agent here tells me, and knows the woods like a book. But dogs don't like a stranger. Kazan isn't going to take to him worth a cent. Kazan heard the girl's voice and stood rigid and motionless listening to it. He did not hear or see McCready, 
when he came up stealthily behind him. The man's voice came as suddenly as a shot at his heels. Pedro! In an instant Kazan cringed as if touched by a lash. Got you that time, didn't I, you old devil? whispered McCready, his face strangely pale in the firelight. Changed your name, eh? But I got you, didn't I? End of chapter 2 of Kazan by James Oliver Kerwood Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio